To start us off today, I thought I would do just a brief recap on what has transpired so far in the book of Mark, and specifically focusing on the disciples and on their faith, because faith is the paramount issue what we're going to look at in our text today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. That's where we're going to spend our time. But before we get there, let me just kind of look back a little bit. You see, as we turn our, our Bibles to the second half in the book of Mark, like 9, 10, and, and, and forward, Jesus is honing in on teaching his disciples and readying them for his departure. And this includes his foretelling of his death and resurrection three different times. So three different times after nine, he pulls them aside and says, I'm gonna tell you, or I'm telling you, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be resurrected, get ready. He's getting them ready for his departure, which will be soon. And here, as he comes off the mountain of transfiguration, we bump immediately into a failure, into a teaching moment. You see, there's been a, a bit of a pattern up to this point in Mark. Some ups and downs in how the disciples relate to Jesus. Some ups and downs in their faith journey. In the first six chapters of Mark, the, the disciples are seen of having like, all this like, sense of wonder and awe. They're questioning, like, who is this guy? He calms the storm and sea, and they're like, who is it that he can even calm the sea? Who, who is he? There's just a sense of just wonder. Then in chapter six, Jesus pulls in his 12 apostles, the, the inner circle, and he sends them out two by two, giving them authority over unclean spirits. And in verse 13, we read, it says that they've had success. It says, they've cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. It's an important point for our text later today. But, but here, they, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. A, a bit of an uptick. Their, their faith is on an uptick. All right, this is great. But then in the back half of chapter six, we see examples of unbelief, even to the point where the text says that the disciples' hearts were hardened. Ouch. And then we come to the pinnacle of their journey with Jesus. In chapter eight, Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ. This is a great moment in history. We then get to the, we then just kind of move past that a little bit and, and we see that this is just another failure moment. But like the blind man before him, Peter's sight is only partially clear. He's then seen rebuking Jesus. So one moment you're the Christ, the next minute he's rebuking Jesus, so much so that Jesus has to rebuke Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Another downtick. Our text today immediately follows what, what Trent took us through last week, the transfiguration, this, this moment when Jesus is seen in some sort of glorified, magnificent state, and he's reaffirmed by God, as, as the, God the Father as his son. He says, this is my son. He's an equal, he's God. Then we come down the mountain and we find the other nine apostles who stayed behind in another difficult situation. And Jesus immediately steps into a teaching moment for his apostles and as Mark records this moment in history, this is a teaching moment for us today as well. So let's take a look at the text here. Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. I'll read, follow along in your Bibles. We'll have the words up on the screen as well. It says, and when they came down, so this is Jesus, when Jesus, John, James, and Peter, when they came, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus answers them. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the, on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As I said, Jesus is now in the process of readying his disciples for what's about to happen. In fact, we're gonna take the next seven Sundays, along with a Good Friday service, to talk through Holy Week, Jesus' death, resurrection, what led up to the death and resurrection, and even what transpired immediately after, that starts next week. Before we get there, we step into this teaching moment given to us by Jesus. And the moment is best highlighted by the words of the Father in today's text. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, what's highlighted in this text is the disciples' inadequacy. Now, normally, being inadequate is a bad thing, right? Nobody ever says, boy, I really aspire to be inadequate. Nobody. But in this case, it's the exact opposite. And like the disciples in our text, we too are inadequate. And that is a good thing because it forces us to draw back upon Jesus. And we too will see strength in these words, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me just press into the text a little bit. You see, Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, they, they just returned from the mountain and came to his disciples. And he finds that they're arguing over something with the scribes. He doesn't know what they're just, it just says they're arguing with something. They're arguing with the scribes over something. And the crowd sees Jesus and, and immediately they run to him. They have this sense of like wonder and awe, like there's Jesus. This is amazing. Let's, let's just go immediately, it says. Jesus then asked the scribes, what are you arguing with the disciples about? The answer, interestingly, comes from neither the scribes nor the disciples, but from a father who's among the crowd. And did you hear what he said? He said he brought his son, who's, who's suffering from this continual presence of an evil spirit, a demonic attack, to the disciples. No, <laughs> he brought him to Jesus. He came to bring his son to Jesus. Since Jesus wasn't there, this man asked the disciples for help. The disciples were acting as a bit of a proxy for Jesus. They had they'd been previously commissioned by Jesus for this very, very work, as I, as I highlighted, right? 
And they've had success, but this time, no good. We're in another downtick on the disciples' faith journey here. Old patterns are creeping back in. At the end of this account, we learned that the disciples must have been trying to heal this boy on their own strength, not on the strength of Jesus, forgetting that on their own, they are inadequate. There's a faith issue being displayed by them. This task is too big for their own strength. In fact, Jesus notices this and maybe somewhat frustratingly questions the faith of the disciples in the crowd nearby. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? The father then brings the boy to Jesus. And when the unclean spirit sees Jesus, knowing who he is, immediately he convulses the boy and sends him into another tormenting situation. It's here that we get the main exchange for us today. The the father is desperate for help for his son. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Read that with a bit of a cry of desperation. If you can have compassion on us, if you can help us, please do. I've already tried to get help. I'm wondering if there's even a solution. Is this too big for even for you, Jesus? Your disciples couldn't do anything to help. Can you? What's beautiful here is that this father has the guts to ask Jesus. This is a raw moment of the heart here. When faced with a crisis, a problem, an issue, struggle, challenge, a need, do we stop and ask Jesus for help even when it seems impossible? Getting a little bit ahead. Let me finish our recap. Jesus' reply to the Father is meant to have the force behind it that we see in our Bibles. There's probably most of you have like an exclamation point, kind of if you can, question mark, exclamation point. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes In other words, Jesus Jesus can do this, but do you have the faith that he can? Jesus' ability is not the issue. The size of the Father's faith is, though. And then we get some of the most heartfelt, honest, raw words in Scripture. Immediately, it says, the Father cried out, and some of you might have a footnote where it says, like, some manuscripts add, like, with tears. So immediately, the Father cries out with tears, I believe, help my unbelief. As we see in the NIV, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The fathers ask for help with his faith. He recognizes that his faith increases only with the help of Jesus. It's not something that he can just muscle up. He senses his faith is shrinking back. His son's life is on the line. All seems lost. The boy has just been tormented again right in front of his face, let alone the fact that this unclean spirit has tried to kill, to destroy this boy multiple times, this child. In light of that, perhaps we can hear the father's heart cry with a little more tenderness. I believe. Help my unbelief. And his faith response is met with the power and the authority of Jesus. I love, I, I love this part of the text. A note that we might just gloss over. Let me, when you, I say this all the time, repeat myself, forgive me, pray for my wife. When you come, when you read, your, read slow, 
right? Because like sometimes we read and it's like it's been years and we just, it's just one paragraph. We're like, oh, what's wrong with this person? Well, it's been years, right? Read slow. Did you hear and see what happened? This, this boy, this, this spirit, Jesus speaks to him. He says, you mute, what does that mean? The spirit can't speak. But more importantly, he says, and deaf spirit. The spirit cannot hear. He's deaf. And yet, Jesus speaks and the spirit obeys. That's power. That is power. Immediately after this, the spirit leaves. And it seems like maybe things have gotten worse. The boy was like a corpse. So much so that people passed by and said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. A physical manifestation of a spiritual truth. Perhaps while it's not a physical death, he did experience a type of death that happens to all of us who encounter Jesus. This boy and his dad experienced a spiritual rebirth that is only given by and through faith in Jesus. It's that Galatians 2.20 moment. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then we come full circle to the teaching moment with the disciples. And we know that it is because Mark signals it for us, right? They're, they're in the house. It's a private moment. They pull away. He's now with his disciples trying to explain, like, what just happened. Why couldn't the disciples take care of this like they had earlier? They're, they're thinking, we've had success. Perhaps they've had lots of success. So why not now, Jesus? And Jesus tells them that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. To hone in even more, in Matthew's parallel account of this, he says it was because of their lack of faith. You see, they too need help with their faith. This was not a task that they could just muscle memory their way through. They are inadequate. This is a bit of a lesson within a lesson. The, the large lesson of the disciples' lack of faith is highlighted by, by one driving instance of a father who's wrestling with his faith. The disciples' experience forms the bread of, of this faith lesson sandwich that we have here. And in the end, the disciples too can join with the Father and say, I believe, help my unbelief. That's our text. There are three things that we can draw from this account. The first is faith is founded by and grounded in Jesus. This first point is the most critical point. Only Jesus can help our unbelief. Only Jesus can help our doubts. Only Jesus can make our faith grow. We are inadequate on our own. All of us, no exception. No matter where you are in your faith journey, your faith is wholly dependent upon Jesus. We might overlook this truth as we walk with Jesus. We're, we're called to task. We're, we're called to holy living. We're called to do works. We're called to do and to be, but ultimately, on our own, we cannot do or be anything. We can't. It's all up to Jesus at work in us. How often do we, do we taste a little spiritual relief and success and, and quickly turn away from God instead of running to him and asking for more and continual strength? It's all dependent upon Jesus. He is the object of our faith, and yet he's the one who actually gives us faith. This past week, as I was talking with Pastor Ken about this passage in this text, I just, I love talking with Ken. I love talking theology with Ken. He's, he's got an incredibly sharp mind, 
and he has an incredibly gentle heart, which is probably why he's such an incredible pastor. And I'm going to paraphrase him just a little bit, so not a direct quote, but this is essentially what he said. He says, it's a good thing that our faith is given to us by Jesus, because if it was up to us, if it was dependent upon us, we would mess it up like we do everything else. So true. If it was solely up to us, we would be a mess. We have to own that. Our track, rec- our track record tells us that that is true. You might be wondering, where, where do we see, like when we're reading this, where do we see that Jesus is the one who gives us faith? Well, let me show you. There's, there's two occurrences. In the passage, pay particular attention to what the Father says. He, he asks Jesus to increase his faith. Did you catch that? Jesus, you help me. You help my unbelief. He wants more, but he knows he cannot muffle it up on his own. Just another just beautiful moment in history. Just, just imagine being the, being the father. Imagine having the opportunity to stand face to face. I mean like physically, like Jesus is here, face to face, right? And saying to him, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. There is something so profound and beautiful in that. I, just, I feel like we can ponder that for hours. At the end of our text, this is the second place, right? In the end of our text, the teaching moment for the disciples, they learn that if they try to operate on their own in spiritual battles, they're gonna fail. They need prayer and faith. The two go hand in hand. Their abilities are dependent upon Jesus. That was their lesson. But we see the same idea throughout the whole New Testament. Earlier in Mark, in the parable of the, of the seed growing, not the parable of the sower or, or the, the seed, but the parable of the seed growing, there in Mark chapter four, it says that the sower sowed seeds, but God makes it grow. 427, the seed sprouts and grows, but he knows not how. God does the work. Even more directly, Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter two, verses eight through nine, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Hallelujah. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Hebrews 12, one and two, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Once more, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. But why, why does this matter? If Jesus is the founder of our faith, the one who, who gives us faith, then the way to increase our faith is to ask him for more. We can't just increase our faith on our own. It's not something that you, can just, that you can just muscle up, that you can just work at. I love learning new phrases. This, this past Christmas, I was playing Uno with my, my nephew, Jamie, and my niece, Callie, we're, we're playing, and Jamie and I are you know, just going back and forth a little bit, explaining the rules. If you ever played Uno, there's all kinds of rules, like you know, depending on what house you're in, like do you stack the draw twos? Or how many... If you don't have the color, how many cards do you keep drawing? Like, we're going through all this, right? And Callie's just getting frustrated at this point. I mean, it's only been 30 seconds, but Callie's getting frustrated. And she, this is what she said. She's like, guys, it's Uno. Don't try harder Uno. I love that. It's Uno. Don't, don't try harder Uno. 
Let me apply that here. You can't try harder faith. In the book of James, we see that faith without works is dead. And with that, hear me, there's incredible value, incredible value in the spiritual disciplines. We are called to practice the spiritual disciplines, absolutely. But these works and these disciplines on their own won't move you closer to Jesus. You need his help. He's the one that stirs the affection inside your heart. He's the one who moves you. We pray to him. We depend upon him. We trust him. And we wait for him to work. I wish I could better explain it, but it's just one of those truths that you just you have to accept. It's what we read in Scripture. And yet in the moments and practices in which we try to increase our faith with sincere hearts, that's key, Jesus will meet us. He does the spiritual work in us. It's what's in our hearts that matters. We believe and he helps our unbelief. He helps our belief grow. He works out our salvation. We work out our salvation as God works in. And he is worthy of our faith. Notice what we learn about Jesus just in this passage alone, just in these 15 verses. He's compassionate. He's a helper. He answers prayers. He has authority over evil spirits. In fact, he's authority over everything. He's called rabbi, which is teacher, master. He's patient. This is is in whom we place our trust. Our faith is founded by and grounded in Jesus. In this text, the disciples got ahead of themselves and forgot this point. You see, they've, earlier, as I mentioned, they've been given the authority to cast out demons, and they had success. They were able to do it. So why not now? Because they forgot whose authority it was. They didn't anchor themselves in prayer and faith in Jesus. They went at it on their own. And I think like the disciples, it's easy in our good seasons in life to go astray, to think that we're somehow in control, the illusion of control. The disciples' journey to this point has been up and down with Jesus, and I can relate to them, can't you? I know that as I talk with many brothers and sisters, I know that you can relate. I know I'm not alone up here. We come face to face with trials, hardships, struggles, tough situations, And then we we start crying out in prayer. We cry out for help. We enter into these long seasons of prayer until whatever brought us to that prayer maybe is gone or solved or maybe our hearts change, whatever might happen. Or perhaps we just enter a season of sustained prayer unprompted and life just seems to be going well. So much so that we stop praying and just start coasting. And then we go out on our own and something happens that makes us wonder what's going on. You see, we too have ups and downs in our faith like these disciples. And like these disciples, we need prayer to help with our faith. I'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment and press into Jesus' answer to the Father when he says, all things are possible for one who believes. It could seem as if Jesus is saying, anything you want, you get. All things, all things are possible. And yet, not all things are done the way we want them. So what gives? There's an inherent tension in this text. There's an inherent tension in this statement. We don't always get everything we may ask for. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's like, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. He doesn't. Jesus drinks from the cup. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Or think of Paul crying out to remove the thorn three times, and yet it wasn't. 
Remember how Jesus himself taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He says, Father in heaven, your will be done. We get some further clarity later in Mark chapter 10. There it says, all things are possible with God. So very similar phrase, but it says with God. So if we put these two similar statements together, I think we gain the fuller understanding. All things are possible with God for one who believes. Our faith stirs us to ask, to seek, to knock for the Father, and he hears and he answers. He delights in giving good things, but he doesn't delight in just giving anything and everything. There's a mystery that happens in here. And yet, we pray. And when we pray, things happen. Our faith is stirred, and we grow in closer relationship with God as Jesus works in. See, our faith is founded by and grounded in him. With that then, the second thing to highlight from this text is that faith is individual. Faith is always first individual. I believe, help my unbelief. The father cries out for help with his belief. I'm bringing my son to you. Your disciples could not heal him. I'm now wondering if if he can be healed at all. Yet, I've seen you, I've heard about you, Jesus, all that you have done. This is why I came here. A healing in my head seems possible, but in my heart, I'm questioning if it really is possible at all. There's some sort of disconnect that's happening. So if you can, if you are able, please have compassion on us, have pity on us. If you can, I recognize that there's a gap in my belief. Please close the gap, Jesus. Help close that gap between my head and my heart. Help me to believe you, to love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. The difference between this man and some of us is he has the courage to say it. I'm wondering how many of us could use this line. How often are we to cry out like this father, I believe, help my unbelief. I have a few music artists that I, that I have on repeat. I, I'm first service, I said I'm lame, so I'll just say it again. I'm lame, just listen to the same people over and over. One, one of them, though, is Fernando Ortega. I just love his music. And in his song, Lord of Eternity, he sings, sometimes I call out your name, but I cannot find you. I look for your face, but you are not there. By my sorrows, Lord, lift me to you. Lift me to your side. Like the father in this text, I appreciate Ortega's honesty. Sometimes, God, I call out your name and I cannot find you. I look for your face and you're not there. Can't see you. So I'm gonna ask you to lift me to you. Help my unbelief. And by the way, this isn't just a one and done cry. No one ever arrives until they arrive. Help my unbelief. Jesus, when all else around me seems to be too much, when I just don't have the strength to make it through one more day, when the bad news comes, help my unbelief. When life seems easy, when things are going good, I forget you, Jesus, help my unbelief. I sat hunched over my computer for, for, for a few days on this sermon. I love this text. These, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I remember when I first came to it, like years ago, and I first read it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I believe, help my unbelief, and now I get to preach this text. This is wonderful, and then I just hit some sort of block 
like I just haven't experienced in a while. A friend of mine sent me a sermon on this very text, just saying, hey, here's a resource in case you're interested. And I don't normally listen to other sermons. This is, just, this is just a damn thing. This is not a, what everyone should do just for me because as I'm, when I'm preparing to preach, I don't want to confuse like what are my thoughts with somebody else's thoughts. Like, you know, I just know myself. I, it all blends together in this mushed up brain of mine. I don't want to inadvertently take somebody else's idea. So I usually just focus on commentaries, class notes, whatever. But this time I listen. And towards the back third of this sermon, this pastor pointed out what he thought was at the root of the father's doubt. And he said something to the effect of the father is pondering. So the father in this story, when he's in this situation, the father is pondering, how could Jesus love someone like me? It was then that it hit me. This is why I'm struggling with this sermon. <laughs> I am this sermon. Perhaps you could relate. It can be so easy to talk theology. It can be so easy to have the answers. In our culture full of comforts, it's so easy to make things look good and sound good and you know, to put on a show. But deep down inside, we must all come face to face with the question, what is it that I actually believe? I know how to speak Christianese. I know all the right answers. In my head, I have it all together, but in my heart, I'm not there. There's this chasm in my soul that can only be closed by God. Does this sound familiar? What is it that I actually believe? A question that we all should just ask ourselves. Do I really believe that God the Father loves me? Do I really believe that the Father has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his Son? Do I really believe that I've been saved by the blood of Jesus? Do I really believe that Jesus is the Lord and King over all? Do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do I really believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in me every day, drawing me closer to our Heavenly Father? Do I believe that this triune God really loves me and really wants my good? You see, I do believe this, but there are days when I just take this for granted. There are days when my heart is in a different place. There are days when the busyness of the schedule you know, demands, right? You know, demands that I just keep going and don't stop and spend time with Jesus, or so I think. And then you string a couple of those days together, and what happens? It's a recipe for disaster. Despair, sadness, depression, frustration, loneliness, anger, whatever. Honestly, these are a gift from God. There's, there's something happening inside of us. It, it's like an internal gauge telling us that something's off track. Something in our life is not right. What's even worse is if you just grow numb in your relationship with God. Perhaps you're so self-reliant, so stuck in your routines that you don't even realize how far away you've drifted from the Lord of eternity. Adversity is not the biggest danger to our faith. Comfort and complacency are. In these moments, we have to cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. Get the demons out of my schedule, Jesus. Reorient my vision to be locked in on you. And slowly, he will. 
when we ask with a sincere heart. Time and time again, this patient and compassionate shepherd who has all the power and authority pulls me back on path with him. All I need to do is just look back and see all the times that he has shown up as I look forward. This is where we find the father in the story, lost somewhere by the cares and worries of life, lost in the, in the worry and anxiety over his son who has been thrown into the hands of death time and time again. We see this hurting, helpless father wanting Jesus to help, to have compassion and help, but his doubts have increased. The gap between his head and his heart is visible. So he cries out, Jesus, help my unbelief. And Jesus does. As I said already, while it's noted that the, that the boy's life is restored, don't miss that the father's faith is also restored. And this faith is not based on what Jesus does, but believing who Jesus is. One commentator said, the sole bridge between frail humanity and the all-sufficiency of God is faith. Each person's faith in God. Now, it can be easy to point at others, to kind of critique others, to maybe to talk about others, to, to compare or contrast yourself with others, but your faith is not about them. It's all about you and Jesus, your perseverance with Jesus. It's that Peter and John moment at the end of the book of John where Peter's like, well, what about him? And Jesus is like, don't worry about him. I'm talking to you. Hear Jesus say, your eyes need to be locked in on me. It's just you and me, every day, all day, no exception. And no one gets saved because of your proximity of the crowd. Notice that the father had to step out of the crowd and come to Jesus one-on-one. You don't get to be saved because you're best friends with the disciples or with someone that you think is super holy. Being part of a great church is beneficial, but that's not what saves you. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. And at the end of the day, God judges and judges my thoughts, intent, motives. God wants your heart one-on-one. Faith is always individual first. And if we lived out our faith, like if we actually truly lived as if we believed what we said we believed, this place would look different. Our church would look different. And that's not a critique of our church. I'm just saying, our church family, we, we are the church. It's not a critique of us. I can't help but to, but to recognize that if we all step into our faith, like just things would happen. Like, you know, faith would just accelerate. Our towns would be different. There's hardly any town or borough around here. We're almost within an hour reach. Some of you drive like an hour away to come here. It's amazing, which we don't have people coming from. There's hardly any towns or boroughs. Our workplaces would be different. Think of the private and public sector reach that we have. Our schools would be different. This one really stood out to me. We have, we have hundreds here, that hundreds of students from elementary age up through college that call this place their church home. Think of these students, let alone the teachers, the administrators, faculty members, professors, all that attend. Think of these people, these students, these, these, these adults, all of them, if they lived out their faith, the collective impact that that would have on our school system. 
if we all individually would believe what we say we believe and cry out to Jesus to help our unbelief. Let me give you a challenge. Each day this week, throughout the day, stop and ask Jesus for help and guidance, wherever you're doing, wherever God might have you. I recognize some of you might not be walking with the Lord and you're here. You're here. God called you here. You could have been somewhere else. You said no to something in order to say yes to this. God is trying to capture your heart is what I'd say. Cry out. Ask for help each day, throughout the week, whatever you're doing. Even if you just say, I believe, help my unbelief. And see how Jesus might meet you. Well, and while faith is individual, our third point is faith is communal. When the father cries out to Jesus and Jesus heals the boy, it causes the disciples who are looking on to reflect upon themselves. Did you catch that? Like, they're looking on, seeing this whole thing happen, and then they pull away privately. They're like, Jesus, we need to talk. What's going on? Help us understand our faith better. They are observing someone else's faith and is having an impact on them. In Luke's parallel account in Luke 9, he concludes this section with, with all and all, it says, all were astonished at the majesty of God. God at work will always capture people's attention. When we live out our faith, other people will notice. And it will spur others on in their faith walk. And similarly, I'm sure that many of you have somebody in your life that you look to maybe as like a model of like faith, a model of like amazing holy living. That, that person stirs, spurs you on in your faith. It, it's communal can't help but to be. Earlier I shared Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. The the verses right before it kind of come at the tail end of chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. It's this story of all these like men and women of faith, just countless stories. I think it even says like we we don't have time to to tell you all the stories. But it says there at the end of chapter 11, it says, and all these men and women, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance that's set out before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter, founder and perfecter of our faith. Since we have this cloud of faithful men and women who did not get to see Jesus, yet lived incredibly faithful lives, let them stir our affections for Jesus. Because we have it better than they do on this side of the cross. And while we draw strength from these biblical witnesses, it points to a greater need that we all have. We need to be surrounded by people of faith in our lives. Did you know that we are chemically wired? God like, inherently chemically made us up within our bodies to be wired for relationship. There's just, there's just this need inside of us. There's something in our bodily composition that's lacking when we are alone. We are created to be in relationship with others. But sadly, we live in an age when loneliness is an epidemic. It's been linked to so many health issues. And when we are lonely, when we are isolated, that's when Satan wants to attack. He wants to get us alone. He wants to divide us. We're more vulnerable when we're left isolated. We need others in our lives. God created man, and then it says there in Genesis chapter two, it says it's not good that man is alone. 
Woman was created to solve a problem of isolation, to, to establish human-to-human relationship and connectivity, to meet the need that God himself, our relational God, established in us when he created us in his image. But know that bad company will corrupt good character. It's not just having anyone nearby. It's having other brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with the Lord in your life, encouraging you, speaking truth to you, modeling godly behavior for you, exhibiting Christ-like character traits for you. I know I was the one that started us off with the ministry moments, highlighting life groups, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that back in here. We have other group-based ministries in our church that you can participate in, and they are all wonderful. Alpha is a great place to join with some others to explore all the matters of the Bible and faith in a safe and welcoming environment. They also offer an amazing dinner. Check it out. Stop in and check it out. I'm sure that they'd love to have you, even if you just want to look in and see. I hope you stay. Our learning communities on Sunday morning are a great place of biblical teaching coupled with fellowship with others. We have men's and women's Bible studies that take place, faithful men and women that just meet in season and out of season. Just, we offer different classes in different seasons, and, I, and I'm sure that there's other things that I'm leaving off here. Forgive me for that. You can check all this out on our website. But there's, there's something unique. There's, there's something special about our life group ministry. Now, not in opposition to these other ministries. That's not what I'm saying, but, but coupled with them. There's something special about joining with others in your community away from this church building on a regular basis, inviting people into your life, spending time in the word of God, spending time praying for one another, spending time encouraging and spurring each other on, journeying through the ups and downs, because we all go through these ups and downs of life over the course of time. I can't quite put it into words, and and I'm not just trying to sell you on something that's not what I'm about. At the very least, What I do want you to hear is that we're not meant to live out our faith alone. We are wired for relationship and we need each other. Let me highlight what what Tim said here and when he did our greeting, Pastor Tim was doing our greeting. We we wanna help you get connected. That's what we want. We're not for something to do to you, but something for you. At the very least, you can just stop by our welcome center. It's the most passive thing you can do and just say, I wanna get connected, help me out. And they'll, they'll help you from there. We'll get in touch with you. We need each other. Faith is always individual first as we have relationship with Jesus. Our faith is bound up with who he is. But faith is also lived out in community as we do life with each other. All in and under the power and authority of Jesus. He sends us out. We are inadequate on our own. We have to remain tethered to him. He is the source of our faith as we cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness of wherever what was lacking, you will fill in. You will speak your truth. I'm thankful that you never give up You always pursue us, even in our ups and downs and our faith journeys. I thank you for that patience. I'm not sure what you're stirring in our hearts here individually. Perhaps even there's gonna be a collective impact. I don't know, but I wanna ask that you would help us to hear your voice. 
Help us to hear your truth. Help us to press into a deeper relationship with you. And where we are lacking, enable us, help us to cry out for our unbelief. Jesus, we believe, help our unbelief. Only you can. We look to you now. In your name we pray.